All right, time for all the kids to come on up front. Come on up, guys. Gals, have a seat. Find somewhere to sit up, ready to listen. All right, keep coming up, guys. Come on up. There's room. Okay. All right, here we go. All right, to start off with now, come on up, find somewhere to sit. You can sit on the stairs there on the floor. There's a little bit of room up here. All right, to start off with, I have something to show you. What is this? An apple. Okay, apple. And what are these? Strawberries, yeah. Now, they look like an apple and strawberries, but are you sure that this is an apple? Are you sure that these are strawberries? Huh. All right, let me ask, let me show you something else. What is this? An apple. And what are these? Strawberries. Are you sure it's a real apple and real strawberries? You're sure, huh? How do you know what is real and what isn't, right? Okay, by what they look like. You could, yeah, taste all of our senses, right? So we could taste them. We could feel them. We could smell them. All those things can help us decide to figure out if they're real or not, right? Okay, so with physical things, that works, right? We can use all of our senses to tell if things are a real apple or not a real apple, or real strawberries, or not a real strawberries, right? So we can use all of our senses. But, okay, okay, good. Ready to listen now. What if it's not physical? What if it's something spiritual? How do you know what is real and what is not? God has given us something to help us with that. Where do we find truth? Yep, you can pretend you're eating real food. Where do we find truth? I heard over here. Go ahead and say it. The Bible, right? I heard that before. The Bible, God's Word. Good. So we have a place where we can find truth. Now, okay, listen up, guys. Psalm 12, which is where we're going to be uh, this morning, talks about lies. Talks about lies being told. And there are lots of lies that were told around us in this world. Lots of lies. So when you think of that, if you want to know what is true and what is lie, we have God's Word to look at. We can read God's Word to find out what is true. Now, we just sang part of Psalm 12. The words of the Lord are pure words. We just sang that right in the last song. The words of the Lord are pure words. That means that God's Word, what He says, is pure. It's holy. It is true. It's never changing. God's Word is eternal. That means that it will last forever. It's trustworthy. And so we can look to God's Word because it's truth, and He's given it to us, and it will last forever. So we don't have to be confused about what is true and what is a lie, do we? We don't have to be confused because we can look at the Bible and what it says, and we can know for sure what is true. 
That's one of the reasons we need to read the Bible if you're able to read or have other people read it to you so that you can learn God's Word. That's why sometimes we memorize God's Word. We put it in our minds so it's there. So the more we have God's Word, truth in our minds, then when we come across those lies that we hear in the world, we're able to say, that's a lie. We can know it because we know the truth of God's words. And so we want to believe the truth, and we want to live our lives according to the truth, not listen to all those lies that are out there. All right, thanks for coming up, everybody. You can go back and have a seat. Thanks, Pastor Jeff. Good to see you, kids. We are in Psalm chapter 12, if you would open up in your Bibles. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the book of Psalms is right in the middle. And so each book is divided into chapters, and we're in the 12th chapter. I want to, we decided to do this last year, take 10 Psalms a summer. And uh, the main motivation was the singing part of it, to recover the singing of the Psalms, and then... So we preach on it, you're learning the Psalms, and we're singing it. So, so that was one of the main ones. But the Psalms are given to us to sing. And they're given to us to sing so that we can be discipled on how to respond to what's going on in our lives in this world as godly people. That's what they're for. The Psalms are discipleship. And they're very uniquely that, because it's not necessarily like a letter from Paul where he says, here's this truth and not that truth where it's just kind of straightforward, didactic, this and not that. It's not a, a gospel or Genesis where it's just showing you the truth of the narrative, kind of historical reality of what God was doing in the world. It's a, a psalmist, a man, in this case David, who is living in this world with all of the stuff that we have and writing a song on how he felt about it, on what was going on in his mind and his heart, and how he fought to have faith in God for whatever it was. And he gave them to the church. He gave them to the people of God to sing so that we can learn how to respond. In this case, how do we respond in a world that's just filled with lies? What do we do with it? How do we respond? How do we feel about it? How do we think about it? Where's God in it all? More specifically, the situation here is likely David fleeing from Saul. And within the people of God, all he meets are backstabbers. <laughs> all he's met, must be from the Midwest, all he's met, all he's met, are people who flatter him, David, I'm on your side, go get him, David. And then he finds out that it's just lies. They're not for him at all. And he's sitting by himself. What do I do? There's no godly people anymore. And he writes a song. And he's teaching you, how do you live disappointment from family and friends, the people of God, the world, when all you get are flatteries. There's no substance. There's no actual loyalty. Nobody's actually got your back. 
Everything you hear on the news, everything out of every politician, it's just lies. How does a Christian deal? That's what the psalm is for. And it's given to you in song because songs get down into your bones. The whole purpose of singing is teaching. We don't just sing to sing. We sing to teach. Psalms are teaching you how to live in a world with lies. To teach you how to respond to what do you do when your kid lies to you? What do you do when a friend has only ever said nice things to you and you find out behind your back he or she's just speaking bad of you? What do you do? That's what this is for. Let me read, pray, give you a little bit more background. To the choir master, according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David, save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, with our lips, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men. Let's pray. Father, may your steadfast love come to us. May your salvation, according to your promise, be ours. May you give us an answer for those who taunt us, because we trust in your word. Take not your word utterly from our mouths, for our hope is in your rules. Teach us to keep your law continually forever and ever. Teach us to lift up our hands toward your commandments, which we love, and to meditate on them, for we find delight in your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen. So you'll notice at the beginning of the psalm, before verse 1, it has this musical notation. We, this is what David actually wrote. This is a part of Holy Scripture. And this informs us, reminds us again, that the people of God should sing. I want you to hear this really plainly. It isn't optional whether or not you sing in church. It's part of being a Christian. I think sometimes we get in this idea that, well, this person's good at singing, and this person's good at that, and but no, the songs are given to the people of God, and we are told to sing praises to him. So this is given to the choir master or to the one excellent leading music. The, we don't know what according to the Shemineth means. Uh, it could mean it's supposed to be sung in a tenor key, which would make sense with the context, but we don't really know. And I, I don't think you should be troubled by that at all. This is a this was written thousands and thousands of years ago, and this should give you more confidence because of its antiquity and how God has preserved it for us until that time. But it's meant to be sung, and it's meant to be led by somebody excellent in music so that the people can sing with it. 
the context, as I said, to this psalm is it's written by David. This is King David. Probably, though we don't know for sure, while he was being persecuted by Saul. And David was finding out that all that he thought he could depend on were just lying to him, just flattering him, just boasting. And they actually supported Saul. So he's betrayed. Flatters and boasters. And so then, again, this is given to the people of God because every good shepherd knows the sheep go through the same stuff. How can the sheep have any confidence in a situation like this or in a world like this? So this is a song. So we'll see within it, there's a a problem. We have this issue with liars and flatterers. There's prayers and there's God's promise. This is typical in many of the Psalms. You have this issue that then becomes a song that is a prayer calling on God to do something that then leads the psalmist and God's people to think on God's promise and put their hope and confidence in the promises of God. That's what this is for for you, brothers and sisters. This is for you. This is for you to live. This, these words are supposed to become your words. They're to disciple you on how to respond in situations like this. This is what Jesus did. He took words from the Psalms and made them his words in how to respond to situations and how to pray. So God has not left you alone on how to deal with liars. God has not left you alone when you're backstabbed by a friend. God has not left you alone in a world that is just flattering you. There's no substance. There's nothing to trust in. He's written a song for you to learn to sing that digs down in your heart that when that happens, you can respond and turn and promise to God. So that's what's going on in this. So this is about how a godly man or woman lives by faith in a world of liars. Now what David says at the beginning of the psalm, Save, Lord. Help, Lord. For the godly one is gone. The faith was vanished. Well, that is and isn't reality. Again, David is here revealing what was going on inside of him in this situation. In his experience, what he was feeling is that he's just alone. There's nobody he can trust in. This is often true of God's people in Scripture. Elijah, I'm the only one left of all the prophets. Jeremiah, weeping, there's nobody left but me. Paul, everybody's abandoned me. I only got Timothy left. And Jesus, on the cross, all the disciples fled. Faithful men and women often find themselves abandoned. But it, that's experientially true. You'll feel that. But it's also not the reality. God always has many more than you know. Elijah, I got 7,000 of them bowed the knee. Elijah, you're not alone. Hebrews calls on us in chapter 11 to remember all the saints who have gone before and this great heavenly company of people that have walked, that we've walked in. And then, that's why we gather every Sunday. 
Because Monday through Saturday, you can feel alone out there. But look around. And so this is reality and it isn't. Do you know what I mean? You live like this, right? You get to the point in your life that you can become despairing, down, depressed. The godly are all gone. Just nobody to depend on anymore. And so there is a cost to following Christ. There's a cost to being faithful. This is teaching you what to do when you're suffering those costs, when you're paying that price. So David is you. This psalm was meant to introduce you to yourself. I hope you feel that. I hope you feel that. It can be like that in your marriage. Your husband or your wife doesn't share your commitments to Christ. What do I do? Here you go. What do you do when your children abandon, your child abandons the Lord and it's become an enemy in a sense? What do you do? Here you go. What do you do in your workplace? When a man demands that now you call him him, her. What do you do? There's no truth. They're liars. Here you go. See, the psalm is to be lived. It's meant to give you the faith, the words, to teach you, to disciple you on how to feel, how to think, how to respond. Do you have the faith for this? So the main issue, though, the problem is flattery. Isn't that something? Flattery is one of those sins that we really don't think is a sin. It's what human beings do. It's it's what we do. We say things to people that are kind of true, but we don't mean them as an encouragement. We mean to get them to do something for us or to think acceptingly of us. So we use words and say nice things, smooth things with a double heart. And we think that kind of a sin isn't just a sin. It's a a little one. It's acceptable. Everybody does it. And this is something, I mean, honestly, that you are do. If you're on Facebook, you do this. This is what Facebook exists for. I've said that before. Facebook is for flattering people. I mess with my mom every once in a while when she leaves her phone unlocked. And I'll just put something like, it's been a bad day. And just watch all the flattery come in. (laughs) Or you see somebody, a young woman who just gets a really short haircut that doesn't look nice and watch all of the women. Oh, you look so nice. Or a guy that you know has left his family because he's got a new toy and he's not spending time with them and all the guys are on there, cool. We just flatter. We do it to our kids. We say nice things to them, not because we mean them, because we want to get them to like us. We say it to our spouses. We do it to each other in the church. 
the reality is God has given us alone, mankind, creating his image, this ability to communicate intelligibly. It's one of the core things of who we are. We come from a communicative God, a God who can speak, who has given us the ability to speak, this profound ability among all creation to communicate with words that can be understood and responded to. And we take this great gift of God and twist it to manipulate others and to get them to approve of us by saying things that are nice and kind and smooth that we don't mean at all. That's flattery. Another way to say it is, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Words are a major part of that. Much of our love is spoken. And so this gift of speaking, intelligible words, is meant for you to benefit somebody else, to give to somebody else, to say what is true to somebody else. And instead of doing that, we use words to manipulate, to get, to twist. It's a great evil. It's awful. One of the contrasts in Scripture is Jesus. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 12. If you're doing the Bible reading program, we've been reading Luke this past week. And I don't remember what day it was, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. We read Luke chapter 12. And as I read this, well, let me, let me show it to you first. Luke 12, I think we're in verse 13. Nope, that's not right. Oh, give me a minute here. This is awkward. Huh. Well, anyways, wherever it was, it's probably right there in front of me, and I'm just freaking out because you're all looking at me, and I can't find it. But Jesus was invited to a dinner, and you know what he does immediately? He rebukes his hosts. He, he begins to tell them their sin in front of everybody. And one guy comes to him and says, hey, my brother and I are in a dispute over our parents' estate. Could you help me with my brother? And Jesus looks at him and says, if you love the things of this earth, you're basically going to go to hell. You know what you do with Jesus? You'd invite him over once to dinner and never again. Because it would be the most uncomfortable dinner party you've ever had. Because he would never flatter you. And what you expect from other people, decorum is that they flatter you. That's what you want from people. That's what we expect from each other. Smooth words. But you know, flatterers are absolutely useless. They're no good at all. 
Flatterers will have people around them, but they don't have any friends, actually. Honest people will often be rejected, like Jesus was, but the friends they do have are very loyal. In the Pilgrim's Progress, if you remember, there's a time where Christian, the main character in Pilgrim's Progress, is a man named Christian, and he was walking with another fellow believer named Faithful. And they came upon a man named Talkative. And Faithful was at first deceived, thinking Talkative was this really godly, mature man. And Christian took him aside and said, listen, that guy's just all talk. He's all talk. And Faithful realizes it. And instead of flattering Talkative, says very clearly that his religion was, was no such thing, that he was a liar, that it was just all talk, and that his example to others was calling, calling others to think that Christianity was a sham. Your religion and covetousness and, unli- and cleanliness and swearing and lying and vain company keeping, you're ashamed to Christians. He said this to this talkative man, and the talkative man had wanted nothing more to do with them, told them how arrogant and proud and rude he was and left. This faithful man didn't flatter him. He told him the truth because he loved him. So I think this should be surprising to us of how awful flattery is. Look at what David ends up praying in verse 3. Lord, would you just cut off the lips of everybody who flatters? It could be prayed against me often, and you. Again, do we fear God? Do we have this kind of hatred of sin? Do we recognize the destruction, destructive impact of flattery? Isn't this one of the main things that's wrong in our world? The twisting of the manipulation with words. And so what do you do? Well, first, we as Christians need to admit how awful flattery is. Inform your conscience that flattery is an absolutely unacceptable sin. It is not a friend. It is not a useful tool. It is an awful wickedness. It comes from Satan, who is the father of lies. It should have no part in your life. When you speak flattery, you're speaking venom. You're speaking filth. And we should not allow it. We should repent of it. That's the first thing. What I want to do in just the, uh, the time remaining here is, how does David respond as he's living around those who only flatter. What does he do? Well, first, David has the faith to say what's true. Look, God, they are gone. The faith will vanish. It's just liars out there. It seems rather arrogant, doesn't it? One man looking at everybody else and saying, everybody else is just 
people are godly people. I'm, I, I, implicitly, I'm, I'm it. <laughs> Christians need more boldness like this. To call what's going on in the world what it is. That's one thing. Second, though, is he, he sings a song. And we, I mentioned this already. But this is true of you, isn't it? When you've gone through particularly difficult seasons in your life, aren't songs real helpful ministers to you? We, we sang this morning, it is well with my soul. That is a good friend in times of trouble, that song. Don't songs do this for us? So here again, brothers and sisters, the Bible is for you. It's, it's written by your heavenly Father to hear. Here's a song to get you through a time in a world like this. And, here's 150 of them. All written for you. And what a shame that in our time, of all of the times of Christian history, the church has absolutely neglected the singing of psalms. It has really been harmful to us. We don't know the words to sing in in flattering times. Wouldn't this psalm be very helpful as you listen to what's going on in our world? What do you do? Here's a song. I want to strongly continue to encourage you to... Learn how to listen to the psalms. There's been a recovery of this. The group that we got this song from, My Soul Among Lions, you can get all their songs on Spotify or YouTube or whatever. If country music isn't your thing, you really like hymns, all of the psalms have been put to hymn tunes with the actual English wording of the psalms. If you like hymns, there's lots of them. I want to encourage you. So first, David sings. May that be our response as Christians to what's going on. Let's sing. So parents, I want, to, I want to urge you, plead with you, sing in your home. Gather your family at breakfast before the day starts, after dinner, maybe before bedtime, regularly, buy a hymnal, Put on a YouTube song and sing together with your children. Start with Jesus Loves Me. Or start with this psalm. Look at what's coming up the next week in our worship and sing one of them together. So first a song, second a prayer. How does David respond in a world of lies? Help, Lord. God, help me. Isn't that a wonderfully simple prayer? Sometimes as Christians, you neglect praying because you're intimidated by it. You don't pray like Dennis. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know how to pray. But often in the Bible, they're very, very simple prayers. In fact, Jesus says that you're, you won't gonna be, you're not going to be heard because of your many words. Matthew 6, 7. Don't heap up a bunch of words. 
He says that if we're going to follow him, we've got to become like children. Isn't this like that? Isn't David just like that? He doesn't have a bunch of words. He's despairing. He's discouraged. And all that he has in him, all the strength that he has is two words. Help, Lord. Again, in our Bible reading, in Luke 18, 38, I'm not going to have you turn there just in case I got that wrong too. There's a very simple prayer of a man blind that needs healing. Lord, have mercy on me. He doesn't use a bunch of words trying to get Jesus to do what he wants. Just, just that. I know you're a merciful God. That's the one thing I know about you, Lord. Have mercy on me. Help me, Lord. So, kids, I know it's summertime. You don't want to think about tests, but this fall... You'll be in a test. What should you pray? Help, Lord. Now, praying that prayer doesn't excuse studying. If you haven't studied and you're going, God, I haven't studied, please help me, ain't happening. Or, kids, what do you do when your mom or dad is angry at you and they're wrong? They've read the situation wrong. They don't have all the details, the facts, and they're unloading on you, and you know it's unjust. What do you do? You pray silently inside of you, not letting words come out of your mouth to your parent. You pray, God help me. Spouse, what do you do, wife, when your husband just zings you? Help, Lord. Mom, what do you do when your kid's sick? The fever's 103 and your imagination's running of all the things that it probably is. Moms have the most incredible imaginations of this, that it's got to be this unheard of disease. Like, what do you do? Help, Lord. Help, Lord. What do you do when a friend and somebody inside of yourself, silent, vice, happens a lot, right? You pray inside of yourself silently. Help, Lord. Do not despise short and simple prayers. So David sings. David prays. And then David trusts. In verse 5, is the first time in the Psalms that we see God speak specifically, personally. God responds to David's song and prayer. God says, because the poor are plundered, because they need to grow, and I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And that word coming to God's inspired prophet, king, David causes David to reflect on the purity of God's word and how God will keep them in verse 7. The them are the promises. God will keep all of his promises. God will arise. That's his promise. God will protect. God is our shepherd. God is our king. God is our sovereign. It will be well with our souls, even if it isn't right now. So David is learning to trust in the written word of God. God promises this, brothers and sisters. 
we do sometimes lack safety here. We do sometimes lack the comfort and security here. But he gives great and many precious promises for his church, for his beloved, that he does not give to the rest of the world. They're for you, and he will keep them. His promise is for us. This has been true throughout all the history of the church. The church has often been attacked. When the church first got its start, and they, the Roman authorities realized that the Christians weren't just a little Jewish sect, they were a totally different thing. Jews were the only ones granted to be another religion other than the Roman religion. And so Christians were found out not to be Jews. They removed from protection, and the Romans did everything they could do to destroy the church. They couldn't. Why? Because God will arise. He will place his church in safety. In the time of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church was hunting down and trying to kill Protestant Christians. The church didn't fail. Why? Because God arose and placed the church in safety. Christian missionaries have gone all over the world and proclaimed the gospel and planted churches that those worshiping foreign gods have tried to destroy. They've kicked out all of the foreign missionaries thinking they could destroy the church. They banned all Bibles. And often, as we learn, the church flourishes. Why? Because God will arise and God will protect his church. We live now in a time where even in our country, where we have religious freedom, we are the unwelcome person now. Christians are the ones that are not protected. We're the one it's okay to mock and ridicule and ignore and so on. Will this stop the church? No. Why? God will arise. God will protect. Because Jesus said in Matthew 16 18, thing will prevail. This is my church, and I'm going to build it. Nothing will prevail. And so you can have unlimited trust in God's promises because they've been tested. That's the picture here in verse 6. The picture isn't that God has refined his word, the picture is of silver that's tested. It's put in the fire. It's all impurities are melted out. It's that the church has tested God's word throughout all ages through difficulties and it's always proven right and faithful and true. You can trust it. It's proven faithful. In a world of lies, in a world of flattery, in a world of vain boasting, God's word is the place of solace, comfort, strength. So Christian, where do you go? Where do you go for this comfort? What's your go-to? Brothers and sisters, I just want to strongly encourage you to get off the internet. You spend so much time researching the latest conspiracy. You, you just know those things inside and out. It's consuming you. It's consuming hours and hours of your time. It's what you think about when you wake up. It's what you're pondering on, chewing on in your heart, but you don't have that same commitment to the Word of God. 
You don't have that same energy, that same focus to that. That doesn't get you going like these conspiracy theories get you going. I think we like being stirred up like that. Gives us a rush. And I think those who put out that know it. And if they can keep you angry, if they can keep you hooked, they can make money, they don't care about you. At least have that kind of a commitment to learning God's word. Because it's pure. It's right. It's trustworthy. It will never fail because the God will keep them. Put them in your head. Learn to sing it. Learn to pray it. Teach it to your children. Speak it to each other. Love the word of God. That's it. You know why? Because he's the one who made you and he's the one who redeemed you and he's the one who will keep you to the end. Nobody loves you like he loves you. Nobody knows you like he knows you. Nobody knows what you need like he knows what you need. And he's given it to you. Right here. This is his word to you. Let's pray. Father, help us to have... to know how to use psalms like this, to know how to sing them, to know how to live them, to make them our own as we experience in our families, in our churches, in our circles of friends, at our workplace, in this world lies, flatteries, boasting. May we not be like that and may we learn how to make use of these kind of psalms. May you give us the faith, God, to learn to sing this kind of thing to have this in our heart, in our mind, in our bones. And let this be our reaction. But more than anything, give us faith to trust that you are a God who keeps all of your promises. That you'll keep them forever. And that you'll guard us from this generation on because you love your people and you love the children of your people and the children's children of your people. And so God, help us there. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen. May God grant you to leave here knowing his great love for you and that above all else, you would continue to love one another earnestly. May God grant that your love would cover over a multitude of sins and that your love would show hospitality to others without grumbling. May God grant that you would use all that he has given you to serve one another, that whoever speaks would not do so with flattery but with truth, the word of God, and that whoever serves would serve by the strength that God has supplied so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs glory and dominion now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.